0: Welcome to Beyond the Block with Brother Jones and Brother Knox, centering the marginalized in Mormonism. We are excited to have a special bonus episode today. Derek, how are you doing today, sir? Great. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't have any more. No more. It's great. Like, I love talking with people. Yes, we do. And today we are joined by a special guest, Ashling Rowan, or sorry, just Ash Rowan. We are joined by Ash Rowan. Uh, And Ash is the founder of GEM Stories, an organization that shares the stories of Mormon and Mormon-adjacent, trans, non-binary, and intersex folks and more folks. And uh, they're also an author and illustrator of books like There's Always Room in My Table. You can find that on Amazon. We'll make sure to put a link to that in the show notes. Did I miss anything, Ash? I
1: think that pretty
0: much sums it up, yeah. Dope. Okay. Okay. So as we were saying in uh, our little pre-production meeting, you got, a, you got a mad interesting life, fam. And uh, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure where, where to begin my particular line of questioning, if I can call it that. But uh, I do. I, I think sure. it would be cool to just ask you a little bit more about uh, uh, Gem Stories and what prompted you to begin that ministry and how that's been going for you. Oh, sorry. So I
1: myself am non-binary. Okay,
0: let's do that. Sorry. Um, This is for people that are not familiar. But uh, yeah, now that we have Ash here and everybody else here and some people that are new to the show here, I'll go first. I am James. Pronouns he, him. One half of the co-hosts for Beyond the Block. Derek? So I'm Derek. My pronouns are he and him. And I'm
2: also one of the co-hosts of Beyond the Block. And I'm the... uh, the com the comedic
0: relief oh my gosh never going to get away from jokes
1: (laughs) so i am ashling rowan Uh, i just go by ash for short i use they them pronouns um i am non-binary genderqueer somewhere in that fun umbrella um and i'm also mormon-ish i was raised in the church and still trying to explore what that means for me and where i'm at spiritually but Um, That is something that my experiences have led me to uh, creating this project called GEM Stories, which stands for Gender Expansive Mormons. And so that's an umbrella that includes anyone who is transgender, non-binary, genderqueer, intersex, um, gender non-competing, and that sort of broadening of what we understand gender to be uh, socially and culturally. To make this space for talk about like what uh, Mormon in the church and also have this unique um, relationship with gender because not everyone does, so it's a pretty niche experience that I want people to be able to have a platform to talk about their experiences with.
0: Gotcha, that is a, uh, as you said, pretty niche experience, and uh, we don't really have anybody talking about this. In fact, I believe it was uh, your project first, dash that I came across that actually seemed to center voices that weren't just gay or lesbian, but center voices that are also trans, non-binary, and you know, the rest of the letters and everything. Uh, there's a phrase you use often that I wanted to right, ask yeah. you a little bit more about. You talk about uh, liminal Mormonism. Can you Define for our listeners what exactly you mean when you say that, and uh, how you bring that into the conversation when it comes to uh, the trans saints, the non-binary saints, and uh, you know, genderqueer saints, just everybody, everybody else. How do you how do you use uh, that term?
1: Yeah, so a liminal space is something that sort of exists in between, kind of moments or spaces, um, something that's kind of neither here nor there, but it's a little bit of both. And so when I talk about liminal Mormonism. I'm talking about an experience that is definitely informed by what it means to be Mormon, someone who has ties to the church, but might not necessarily have your typical, like, standard uh, something that is kind of has one foot in both worlds of something else. And so like, for me, I'm also exploring places um, like universal Unitarianism and kind of blending that in with my spirituality as well. And so I'm inescapably Mormon it's something that I was born and raised into and I even if I were to leave the church completely like it's something that still informs who I am and who I've been and so in that sense um it's sort of this liminal space between one spirituality and another that combines both it's kind of both neither and that's kind of how I talk about my gender as well you know I'm not really female nor male it's kind of a combination an amalgamation of both so
0: Understood. Can you say a little bit more about that in terms of uh, your relationship to the church? You like you've you said a couple of things, but I wanted to get a picture a little bit more about how you relate to the church, especially where your where your faith is concerned. And obviously that is, you know, deeply tied in ways to your, uh, to, you know, your gender identity. Can, so can you say a little bit more about uh, what this looks like in the term in terms of your relationship with the church?
1: Yeah, that's something I am actively exploring as we speak. I mean, I love Mormonism and I love the church and I just feel like it's also hard to exist there as a person, Um, but especially with gender issues being sort of this new frontier that haven't really been explored theologically or socially as much. Like we're starting to come around on like, what does it mean to be a gay Mormon? But there's just not a lot out there on what about being a trans Mormon? What does that even mean? And so it's something that I'm trying to create space for uh, within the church, but at the same time, like, I just don't feel fully part of it anymore, Um, especially with updates to the handbook that sort of um, limit what I am able to be and do in the church um, as someone who's non-binary and socially transitioned. Um, It kind of puts limitations on what I'm able to do, and so I'm also looking elsewhere Um, for spaces that I do feel belong, where I belong, and I'm affirmed and accepted for who I am. Um, It's kind of, again, like one foot in both worlds kind of a deal, where I would love to be fully active in the church. I just don't know that it's quite uh, um, where I'm meant to be at this moment in time, just with how things are set up. Um, And at the same time, like there is so much from the LDS tradition that I absolutely love. And there's so much about God and about Christ that um, I can't part with that um, no matter where I go, I'm going to take that with me, Um, even traveling through other faith traditions as well. So,
2: oh, can I ask a question about that journey? So do you have a Unitarian Universalist congregation or community in person or online, or how have you connected with UUs?
1: Yeah, I've been through um, a few Zoom meetings with a congregation up in South Jordan um, that I really loved the experience there. Um, and it's it's kind of a liminal thing where I feel like I don't quite fully fit in there either. Like ideally, I would love for there to be like this um, fully Christian, fully Mormon, but also like fully inclusive um, community. And I think that on a local level, you know, some people are able to achieve that within their wards or within their congregations. Um, but on a wider level, we're not quite there yet, and so I'm kind of like taken and choosing. Like, I don't know. I like aspects of this community, and I like aspects of this community. So, how can I blend them together for my own personal journey?
2: That reminds me of a term that I heard one of my several of my friends use called religion queer. It's on the analogy of gender queer of not fitting in in one uh, binary gender. Similarly with with religion, there's some people who authentically just don't quite fit the category, like a, a a narrow category of religion, and you might span the spectrum between one or more religions and somehow flowing together. And that's a real experience. And that is something that happens to people on the margins of these communities.
1: I love that term to describe it because it's very accurate. Like, there's so much overlap between what my gender is like and what my spirituality is like. And I, just the same way that I get holy envy, I get gender envy, like, oh, I want to present that mm-hmm. way or, oh, I would love to celebrate my faith that way. And so it's really cool to be able to explore and to kind of, even within Mormonism, I think we're encouraged to find truth and light wherever it is mm-hmm. and to incorporate it into our own practices. So that's definitely something that I'm an enthusiast in.
2: So, and I have a follow-up question about participation in the church and making it more accessible. Obviously. I'm not in a position to make these changes, but in an ideal situation, how would we structure the third hour? uh, Or we don't have a third hour anymore, but how would we structure what uh, is now being done by the relief society and the priesthood meetings? Like what would happen if we have the ordination to the priesthood of all genders? And then what would that look like? And uh, in terms of the meetings and we have a habit of calling each other brother and sister last name. Is there a title that you would prefer instead? Some of these questions, like what would make um, genderqueer non-binary and trans folks uh, more included in our wards, if we could have the ideal setup?
1: Yeah. And that's kind of the big question, isn't it? I feel like once we start poking into how do we incorporate all these people. That's when the theological floodgates kind of have to open up and we have to do a lot of revamping to figure out how do we include all these things. Um, And so one idea that I've heard that I really love is having sort of just like a catch-all support group um, or even breakout support groups that are inclusive of all genders um, where you still could have, you know, Relief Society and priesthood forums, but then also have, you know, a meeting where um, people who don't fit into either category or want to meet over other issues like mental health, you know, things like that. We could have this sort of catch-all meeting for anyone or everyone to go to. Um, And I definitely don't want to do away with, you know, there is value in having um, places like Relief Society and Priesthood, because people do find value and meaning there. And like, even in the Relief Society meetings that I've been to, like I feel like I do share a lot of life experiences with the sisters in the church. So I don't necessarily feel completely excluded from it. It just isn't like the perfect fit for me. And so I would love to explore like more options, what could things look like? Um, and one of my favorite callings that I've had in the church is being a ward librarian. Cause it is something that it's just gender neutral. You know, it doesn't matter if I'm man, woman, something else I can just check stuff out to people in the library and still feel included and useful and part of the community. And so I think there's definitely room to explore um, within our wards and within the temple, you know like I was able to participate as a witness in the temple. Um, And I felt totally comfortable doing that because it wasn't tied to who, like my gender identity at all. It's just something that I'm a person, I'm a human being that can witness these ordinances and make that happen. So um, there's a lot of room to explore these questions and figure out how do we make it more inclusive with people? Um, And again, yeah, like people, some people do like the brother and sister uh, titles. Um, Personally, like, I don't vibe with that. I don't really people just call me Ash. Um, it's a little more familiar um, to me and then it doesn't bring gender into it at all. But, you know, you could call someone, hey, neighbor, hey, friend, hey, sibling, things like that, so.
2: Yeah, I th- and I think part of this has to do with the individual self, um, self-initiated requests like we have to focus what the individual wants and needs requests because that's going to be very different even within as you you know the trans community different people will prefer different things like i know some some uh
1: yeah i definitely can't speak for everyone so
2: i know some more binary trans folks love the the brother and sister last name when it's done correctly like i had there's a um a trans guy in the church. And there was a moment where the Bishop from the pulpit called him brother last name, and he felt so affirmed. And so there's, there's, yeah, there's I ways that, that we, and we can I definitely use don't want
1: to take that away from people either. Yeah.
2: And it's tough. Like I said, we have to just look at what people themselves, because people are, are the best experts of their own journey and their needs. And that's what we just have to trust.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: There's other things we could do, like making sure there are gender-neutral bathrooms. Uh, that that can be an issue, and just making sure that people feel uh, feel safe and that they're not intrusive questions. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to to some to some of this work and seeing what we can do to make our spaces more accessible.
1: Yeah, it is going to be work, and it'll be an uphill battle figuring out okay, like, how do we do this? Um, and I think part of it, it's gonna open up a lot of big questions, like how do we handle the priesthood? Because you have trans women who have been ordained into the priesthood, like, do they still have that authority and power? It, it's it, There's so many questions that um, I think it's, 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 it's exciting because it means that there's room for so much growth and so much more gaining of light and knowledge that our heavenly parents want us to have. So it's definitely gonna be like uncomfortable and, um, I think that's kind of any work that Christ would have us do to come closer together as a community um, is going to be difficult work. But it's work that's worth doing and it's necessary to do to make sure that everyone is part of the fold.
2: Yeah. As a follow up, I want to talk about because you mentioned heavenly parents, like to what extent do you see God as uh, gender expansive or non-binary and the same with Christ? Do you see Christ in ways that are gender expansive?
1: So I definitely see Christ as kind of genderqueer himself, like some of the terminology and language that he uses, he compares himself to a mother hen. Like, he's definitely not um, a binary, like masculine, super masculine, and especially because he's the savior figure for everyone. And we're all supposed to be able to relate to him and to be able to emulate him. And so for us as woman, you know, who... Um is striving to emulate Christ-like qualities, that must mean that um Christ has feminine and masculine attributes that we should all strive to have. Um and to me, like Christ and God are divine. And so they transcend humanity and these roles and descriptions that we've given ourselves. Like there's just so much we don't know about gender um in a spiritual sense. We know a little bit like biologically, and there's boxes we've tried to fit things into. But to me, like Christ and God transcend and go beyond all of that. So like why would God be just a man or a woman? Like, God to me is everything and nothing and more than we know how to describe in human terms. Um, One of my favorite authors, Madeline Langle, actually refers to God with L pronouns, like Elohim, uh, which I think is super interesting just to kind of denotate that God isn't one of us. God is sort of above and beyond us. And Uh, I think that has super interesting implications theologically, um, because we are striving to be like God, but God is kind of like us. So like, it's just interesting. Like, what does that mean? Like, what is gender on a spiritual level? So
0: I like how that opens the door for possibilities for, I mean, obviously that particular story or that particular theological implication easily opens up the door for, uh, all kinds of people to be able to partake of the sealing ordinance in ways that we have not thought possible before, because if gender is a construct and you know, the way that most people understand it here, and it's not going to be that way in heaven, or it's not going to be that way in the afterlife, then there's already a lot of conversations we can have in terms of full inclusion of, uh, you know, trans folks, LGBT folks, or sorry, LGB folks, just, it's all, in there. And I just really like how this idea of God as somebody who doesn't necessarily conform to our ideas of gender or sex is one that is able to include pretty much everybody. I really, I really like that idea and I'm really glad you shared that.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think there's, um, there's a narrative out there that like, oh, well, I'll be converted into like straight white people in the afterlife. And that's definitely not going to be the case. There's so much room for diversity that we've just barely begun to scratch the surface of because we are in this limited mortal understanding of existence. And I think we're going to be shocked at how different things turn out to be and how much more room there is for, for diversity and for just things to be
2: mm-hmm. wild. Although I in have
1: amazing ways.
2: I have a theory that in the resurrection, I'm going to look exactly like James because it says my body will be perfected. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh man (laughs) more jokes we're not even 20 minutes in already got more jokes uh Uh, but yeah yeah, speaking
1: up to that a little bit more as well like um i wouldn't say like gender doesn't exist in a spiritual sense like i don't think we're all gonna be like formless blobs or anything um like my gender is something that feels innate to who i am divinely like and eternally And um, coming into contact with that and exploring what that means has been truly transcendent for me as I figure out, like, oh, this is how God meant me to be, not necessarily this one box that people are trying to shove me into. Um, And I think it's actually really deeply spiritual that um, trans people have this experience of their soul as something that exists maybe beyond or um, expanded from their body. Like, I think that says a lot about our spirits and how. We aren't just our bodies, but we're also this spiritual, divine, eternal component as well. And nobody knows, you know, what the premortal life was like or what things will be like. But I think it is telling that um, gender expansive people have this understanding of gender as being something that's not just limited to how things appear to be physically in this life. It's spiritual as well.
0: I want to hear a little bit more about that, because uh, one of the things we wanted to talk about was this experience of uh being trans or trans identities or non-binary identities in general, those identities and living into them as faith in action. And I want to hear a little bit more about how that might uh, influence your ministry, but also influence or witness even. I like the word witness lately, how that might witness to uh, people, perhaps a different understanding or a different way of living into these identities than we had previously supposed.
1: Yeah. So there's a misconception out there that I think that trans people are just confused about who we are because obviously God put us into a particular body and that means that that's who we are and God doesn't make mistakes. But my experience has really been the opposite. And I think that gender expansive people are sort of testifying of who we are when we talk about our identities. Like I can't prove to anyone what my gender is. It's not something you can stick under a microscope and be like, oh, gotcha. You know, like that's what you're supposed to be. Um, It's just something that feels very like spiritual and innate and in this in the same way that a testimony might be like I can't prove to anyone that God exists that I believe that God exists it's just something I sort of feel out something that I explore and that's um what gender is to me as well like um sort of lost my train of thought there Uh, but yeah it's kind of like people just need to listen to our testimony of this is how I believe that I'm meant to be and it's an act of faith really like I believe I'm non-binary and makes sense to me feels right and so it's something that I've taken steps towards affirming in myself because it feels like it's how God made me to be and that's sort of the understanding that I have I don't have concrete like proof that I can give anyone and so it's um it's it is an act of faith it's taking steps into this sort of unknown and especially not having sort of a path to follow within the church or even within life. Like what does it look like to have a non-binary transition? There's not like tons of examples out there um, of what that looks like. And so it is a journey of faith and saying, okay, God, I don't know what this is going to look like, but like, this is what you want me to do. And so I'm going to take a leap of faith and walk out there and see what happens.
0: So can you speak a little bit more to perhaps how, uh, how the Lord has affirmed you in your identity and the authentic expression of it and what this might look like or mean for other people. Obviously, we've already talked a bit about what it means uh, in terms of witnessing. But uh, if you can speak to this at all in terms of your own spiritual affirmation or scriptural affirmation, I would definitely love to hear more about that, if you don't mind.
1: Sure. I mean, I've had some personal experiences, um, especially in regards to my patriarchal blessing. That was sort of the first time that I felt aware that God was knowing of who I am. Um, It felt like it wasn't just randomly generated script, but it was rather something that had come from someone divine who had to have known me personally to be able to say these things about me. So even though my patriarchal blessing is very gendered because it was given from a patriarch who probably that's what he assumed was best. that was an experience for me of knowing, okay, there's somebody up there who is aware of me and my situation. And so that it sort of became like a bedrock of my, uh, relationship with God and with divinity. Um, and so I've been able to sort of build on that experience. Uh, one that I had recently, like a more spiritual experience related to gender, um, back in October, a few years back, um, was before general conference. And I just had been wrestling with this idea that i might be trans like what would that mean for me within the church and so i was just sort of laying there in the dark thinking about that and i just felt this warmth and the spiritual confirmation that yes i am transgender and it's part of who i am spiritually and eternally um i didn't really get much beyond that sort of like uh sort of an acknowledgement from god like yeah okay like this is what's going on um and actually the day after that was when um Elder oaks took to the pulpit to um, talk about gender and how transgender people are confused and all the stuff that kind of gets thrown around um, in in the church um, when people don't really know what they're talking about. Um,
0: as old white people are. I was able to carry with to me this
1: knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> as they want to do, of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, because that, that sort of really brought it into conflict for me how can it be so different what I'm experiencing and what these um, leaders are talking about over the pulpit? Like, aren't they supposed to be prophets who know best? Um, Do I really have the authority or the audacity, right? To seemingly be in conflict and disagreement with them. And so um, having that, um, that sort of spiritual confirmation behind me is something that I was able to hold on to um, like as an iron rod kind of moment, like, okay, like, I don't know what's going to happen, but, I trust that God is aware and God is going to direct me on my own path. And even if that looks a little bit different from everyone else's and from what's prescribed, it's going to be okay because God is there and watching.
0: I'm really glad you said that simply because it sounds very similar to words I heard Darius Gray speak when talking about his journey in the church. Now, these are not the same, you know, but it is so critical to be able to point out, and i I'm going to point this out as often as I can, that being in the positions that we're in, we don't have the luxury of, you know, taking the brethren's word for it when they talk to us about what our immutable identities mean for us in this life and in the life to come. Like this is something I fall back on often when people ask me to explain my allyship to the LGBTQ community. And I'm just like, guys, I don't have the luxury of believing that the brethren get it right all the time when it comes to this kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. for 126 mm-hmm. years, my people were spiritually and socially dispossessed and they knew better. Like, or at least the people that looked like me knew better. Darius Gray, he joined the church many years before the the 1978 revelation simply because of what you were talking about just now and i'm just like can we not extend the same grace in the same uh and 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 the same uh, i don't know manners is the best word i have but i'm just like we this is not the first time we've been here is though is what i want to say to those people though i'm just like can we not learn from the past or take a cue from our black brothers and sisters and be like you know maybe just maybe trans folks know what they're talking about. And maybe <laughs> we can like actually honor that a little bit because this is not the first time we've been here. And we've experienced this recently, just recently with the reversal of the exclusion policy, where it's just like, we didn't really get that great of an explanation for how and why we caused such great harm to these folks. And I'm just like, I think we need a different tack now. Like if we don't have the evidence by now, or if we didn't have the evidence then, we certainly have it by now that we probably ought to take a new form or a new path when it comes to how we navigate issues of immutable identity. And you articulated it so perfectly and almost identically to how Darius explained it. Just like, I don't have all the answers. I don't know what things are going to look like, but I know that this is where I belong so I'm going to be here. And I know that there's nothing yeah. wrong with me, but this is where I need to be. So I'm going to do it. And I just think that takes a tremendous amount of faith. And I have so much respect for that. You really are a pioneer, Ash. And I like seriously feel honored <laughs> to like get to talk to pioneers in real time. It's, it's, it's dope. Sorry, I'm ranting now.
1: I think all of us here, no, you're good. I think all of us here are pioneers in some way. And they're there is so much to be said about how the experiences of the marginalized overlap in a lot of ways. Like we don't all face the same uh, difficulties because of who we are, but there's so much that we can learn from each other and from how we've treated each other in the past that moving forward, we should be able to use that to be able to light the way that we're going.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's the, what, just speaking of pioneers, I think about how all these, all these people dress up and, and do this whole Trek thing and they they, Role play as pioneers crossing the plains. I'm like, why are you dressing up like a people facing hardship when you could just listen to the people facing hardship today? Oh, right.
0: Oh, definitely. tell them, Derek. Ask. So
1: badly, but then not listening. to what we're saying. <laughs> Ooh!
0: right. Like, yeah, and of- too much I truth, think- guys. Too much truth. Turn it down. <laughs> <laughs> they ain't ready.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Like, I mean, that's part
1: of the whole thing though, right? Like we are exploring this new frontier and I don't claim to be a prophet by any stretch of the imagination, but I think that people who are on the margins, who are in this liminal space, um, are uniquely qualified to be able to understand where is it that we need to go. We can see, um, things that we need, like actions that we need to take that would strengthen our community and our body of Christ. Um, and people need to listen to us, right? Like we know what we're talking about, um, And it's hard to do because I don't want to discredit the authority and the leadership that the brethren of the church have. Um, But at the same time, there is a lot of prophesying that's happening at the ground level that is just being disregarded because people assume we don't know what we're talking about or we're just heathens, right? Like how could we be in tune? But
2: how could we know our own experiences? Wow. You know, I'm so curious. (laughs) And So, Ash, I'm curious about if you've ever considered reframing it to say it's actually the cisgender folks who are confused because cisgender folks have never had (laughs) to think about their gender in any reflective or thoughtful way more than like two seconds in their life. And they may not they don't even realize they have a gender identity until they meet trans folks. Right. So maybe you are
1: absolutely right. Yeah. Um, I mean, gender is something that before we're even born is forced onto us, right? Like we get an ultrasound and look at the baby like, okay, this baby must be one of two genders. Those are the only options. Like that's not even scientifically accurate, but it's something that we all roll with as a society. It doesn't make sense. Like, I think that gender expansive people are here to challenge these outdated views and to move us forward into the future and that's something because um, I'm autistic as well. And so that's something that we joke about. Like maybe it's neurotypical people who don't know how to socialize because, you know, they just have these rules <laughs> that they follow that don't make any sense. Like, And we're the ones who are supposed to be the weird ones. Like that doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. Mm-hmm.
0: So. I think about that all the time. We were talking about uh, neurodivergence just now.
1: We were. Yeah. Um, I think there is something to be said, though, about cisgender people just kind of take things at face value like okay i guess i'm a girl i guess this is what i have to do now and who i have to be whereas trans people have had to have this intentionality about gender we've had to deconstruct it and take it apart and what does this really mean is this who i want to be is this how i am and that's something that like a lot of people just unconsciously will go their whole life and just accept okay like i'll roll with what you said i am um rather than taking the time to like really dig in and examine the root of those beliefs, which I think can be said for faith as well, right? Like if you want to have a truly meaningful testimony and a deeply personal relationship with scripture, with the gospel, you kind of have to get in at the root and be like, okay, this is what people are telling me is true, but is it what I really believe? Um, How can it be different? How can it be better?
2: And this gets back to the authority of the prophets and the apostles, because given this framework, the answers you get are limited by the questions that you're able to pose. And if cisgender people haven't even thought about these things before, they may not have the language to ask. And I don't want to let them off the hook because that's not okay. There's no excuses for, for transphobia. But we have to figure out what's going on in order to fix it. And I think that we've got some leaders who have lived 70 years socialized to have a very particular understanding of gender and now now there's new questions that need to be asked that they're not exactly asking and so I think that's a way of and that is a big
1: driving force behind sorry um that is a big driving force behind why I wanted to start the gem stories project is so I could get at the heart of what are the issues that gender expansive Mormons are facing? Like what are the questions that we have, the struggles that we're going through and just kind of get it out there. So people can begin to have an understanding. If you haven't lived through it, it's hard to be able to relate to it, but just having us be able to talk about it in our own words, I hope we'll be able to give people a little bit of understanding a little bit of, of a glimpse of what, what it's like.
0: Absolutely. Hopefully some empathy too. Cause like, you know there's something about being able to listen to the stories of people as they themselves tell them that is a catalyst for so many people like i know it was that way for me and i know that it's a lot way for a lot of other straight cisgender white folks is when they finally get to know somebody or meet somebody or hear the story of somebody who's directly affected by these things that we have st- such strong opinions on yet don't affect us that is when you know actual mm-hmm. change can take place because Now we're able to attach faces to the oppression. And, you know, as unfortunate and regrettable as it is, this is something that I see in terms of differences between a black community and the LGBTQ community. Like as soon as people have children or relatives that are directly affected by uh, LGBTQ phobia, then they realize that the rules have to change or society has to change because no one's gonna treat their loved one that way. Um, but yeah, I, I do like this idea that making sure that those stories, and this is one of the reasons I really appreciate the work that you're doing is because it gives people an opportunity to put, you know, actual bodies, actual people, actual personalities behind the experience in ways that humanizes them. And I hate using that word in this way, but I'm just like, there's only so much you can do, or so much learning you can do, so much reading blogs or listening to podcasts online that you can do before actually hearing an actual person. And that has to be the thing, or ultimately ends up being the thing that changes a heart is being able to have a relationship or hear a story.
1: Yeah, it's something that brings it from something's just an abstract issue that you can debate and theorize about to, oh, like this is something that actual real members of
2: our church are dealing with currently. Mm -hmm. And that gets back to another question that I've had about the role of reaching out and making sure that we center the marginalized because in the LGBT community, typically people on all sides of the issue instinctively focus on the LGB folks. It's you look at the church websites, or the anti-gay stuff, you look at the pro-gay stuff, it's all about the gay experience or same-sex attraction. There's very little about the trans experience. And my view is that when we do LGBT activism, we should center the T and let LGB be the afterthought rather than the way it is now, where people talk about the LGB experience, and then maybe squeeze in a little bit of trans. They may say the T, but not really mean it. But I think if we, if we uplift trans folks, then we uplift everyone in the LGBT community. So how do you think we could do a better yeah. job of centering trans folks and not focusing on handsome gay white man, which is what I am. But that's what the church <laughs> focuses on. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think, unfortunately, it's sort of a microcosm of society at large, right? Like, that's just kind of how things are. We kind of tend to listen to the white male voice um, to the detriment of all of us, because that is such a small fraction of what the actual lived experience is. And so definitely, I think um, that the more that we listen to gender expansive people, the more it's going to help everyone, um, because a lot of questions for trans people are also wrapped in up in um, how do we treat women in the church? Once we start asking questions about gender and the priesthood, um, that's going to, that's going to be an issue of feminism as well. And so that's the reason these all have to be interconnected and intersectional. And even going beyond that, like it's not just trans people who are shafted, but intersex people as well. Like they barely get any acknowledgement whatsoever. And that's another huge issue that um, is kind of related into all of this, but it's something that has to be acknowledged as its own thing as well.
0: Big time. I heard somebody named Peter Tatchell once say, like just going back to your comment on uh, the feminism piece, he said something along the lines of when it comes to our our trans activism or our gay activism, that we got to be feminists first before we are LGBTQ activists because there's not going to be any lasting emancipation for uh, LGBTQ folks without the full emancipation of women, when it seems that the uh, underlying issue, of a lot of LGBTQ phobia seems to be misogyny and patriarchy, gender treason, as Derek has explained it to me before, just this idea that people are not minding their place in uh, the gender hierarchies. So I really like that you brought that point out and uh, yeah, it's just something I've never thought of in terms of my own LGBTQ activism. I don't say near enough things about women. I don't, cape, I don't cape as hard as n- nearly as hard as I ought to for women. And I just realized that if my activism is going to be any kind of uh, right, then it has to operate from that framework that you just mentioned.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's part of why it's so important to get out there and broaden our lenses as much as possible because all this systemic oppression kind of ties into each other and all these different groups. Um, have different dynamics that um, need to be honored in different ways, You know, like the disability community as well. Um, we have things that we need to learn from everyone. And so the more that we are able to listen to um, a huge variety of people, the more we're gonna realize how many issues there are that interrelate and overlap with each other. And then we can work on, okay, how do we tackle this? And how do we start dismantling um, these structures that are hurtful for all of us?
0: Intersectionality is hard. And it takes a long time.
1: It's so hard, but yeah, but like, that's what we're here to do, right? Like it is hard work, but it's sort of the whole point.
2: Yeah. And obviously that's so relevant for our autistic friends because that impacts everything about church, like the social and emotional components to the whole church experience is tied up with a whole bunch of layers that, that aren't inclusive of people who are, who don't fit the norms Supposed and expectations. Norms. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Supposed norms is a great way to put it because it's something that we sort of accept as normality when really like none of us fit into that in one way or another. Like we all have different ways that we interface with reality and with existence that are unique to each of us. And so, yeah, there's so much to be said about how the church is structured around people who are extroverted and outgoing and, the The molds that we've built around it that most members just don't fit into, and I think a lot more than we realize don't fit into um, the way that we're trying to make people fit in.
0: Hmm. so we've talked about just about everything on this list, but uh, I don't know. We haven't really talked a lot of we haven't really talked a ton of policy, and I don't know how much we want to talk about that right now, but um. Obviously, if you can spare a couple more moments to talk about it, and since you're here, uh, just your thoughts on the policies, what you would like to see or how you would like to see them change, if at all, and uh, perhaps the implications they have both for the future ministry and worship of the church, and uh, I mean, I guess even on that now.
1: Sure, yeah. So I was sort of simultaneously encouraged and discouraged Um, with the recent updates to the handbook, I believe it was February of 2020, where they actually put out um, content on, okay, like, how do we deal with transgender members? And there's even a little bit um, on intersex members as well. Um, In some ways, I feel like I'd kind of been able to skate through on technicalities before anything had been put on paper, because it's like, people don't know what to do with you if you don't um, fit into gender expectations and so if there wasn't anything on paper you could kind of get by with oh well I guess you can you know you can get by and whatever um but now that's kind of codified um it's actually kind of a hurtful policy the way that it is written now because trans people are um set up to be able to be disciplined for transitioning even socially so if you do so much as change your name or your pronouns or if you start wearing clothes that are more affirming of your gender identity those are all grounds for being able to be disciplined by the church and um are grounds for losing your temple recommend even um not even talking about like medical transitions and these life-saving surgeries and hormone treatments that are affirming for transgender people if you do something as impermanent as socially transition that still is grounds for church discipline um so there's not really any leeway right now like um you they say that you know you can be baptized you can be a member of the church but you're not going to be able to fully participate if you act on being transgender in any way right it's a new like you can be gay but don't act on it just um there's not there's not a space left for us it's like how are we supposed to be able to um follow this path that god has laid out for us and be true to our intrinsic identities if we're going to face discipline for it like um there's no room for us basically. Um, and so I think moving forward, we have to be able to let trans people be trans, right? Like just take our word for it that that we're not mentally ill or confused, that we're doing what we truly believe is how we're supposed to be, how we see ourselves. Um, and like the science is out there, right? That gender affirming treatments save lives, they improve mental health. And so, it seems so cruel to me to treat these as um, aberrations, as sins that need to be dealt with, rather than something that is necessary to take action on to save our lives.
0: Really, should be that simple.
2: <laughs> wow, there's a yeah. there's a lot of, <laughs> of real stuff there. I'm curious if you have um, anything you suspect about what they're afraid of, like the people behind these policies. What what would be the harm in people presenting and identifying as their gender and flowing through the church as the gender they know them? So I don't see how they would be hurt. Though. Like, what do they have to lose by that? What are what are they afraid of? It doesn't hurt me. Like someone someone else's gender identity that doesn't hurt me in any way. So, what are they afraid of?
1: I think there is a lot of fear mongering about it. If you listen to all the arguments that people make about. Oh, like trans people in bathrooms, how is that supposed to work out? Or trans people in sports. It's, um, a lot of fear that trans people are predators or that people are going to somehow take advantage of this. Like people are afraid that men are going to go on hormones and pretend to be a woman so they can go into sports and dominate the playing field. Right. But that's just not an issue that even needs to be worried about. Um, it's sort of a bogeyman that people are afraid of happening, but it's not even really a possibility. Um. I think that there are, it's an uncomfortable area because once we start um, trusting trans people to affirm themselves, then it does open up questions of, okay, well, how do we handle trans women who've been ordained to the priesthood and things like that? Like, that's going to open up some hard things that we have to tackle. And maybe there's some resistance to change that's happening there as well. Like, we don't want to upset the status quo because it makes sense to us. And we don't want to dig deeper and realize that there's more work to be done and more understanding to be had. But a lot of it is just um, coming from fear and misconceptions that trans people are mentally ill or predators, like things that have all been said about gay people before, too, that we're slowly starting to come around on. Oh, okay, like it's okay to be gay that you're born that way and things like that. Um, But it's still such a new frontier for trans people that the same arguments are coming up again and again that we've heard before that have been used to discriminate against and oppress gay people as well.
2: Right. I I also imagine that they they're afraid of the, their world not being pretty anymore. Like they grew up in a time where yeah. men were manly and women were feminine and everything had its place and everyone had their gender roles and it was all nice and pretty. I mean, pretty in there. I don't think that's pretty. I don't think, I don't think that's pretty. It, it makes sense to, to be them. pretty, but yes. But they may be shocked by by stuff that doesn't fit with their subjective completely biased view of what things should be. And I think that's really tough for them. Um, not that that's an excuse, but I, I think that's gotta be a large part of what their assumption is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It is definitely a lot easier to assume that everything can just be neatly categorized and that you can look at someone and know, oh, like that must be a man because they look manly. And once you start um, breaking that down and realizing that it's so much more complicated it does get scary and messy and it's, it, it really illuminates how much work we have to do to be able to um, start to understand one another.
0: I also just wanted to say that this kind of thing isn't necessarily new in terms of people looking at something that doesn't fit the way they are accustomed to looking at things and then coming up with an explanation that oppresses those people who don't fit in like slavery or the institution of race like racism came before race like they needed to invent this category of race so they could justify the maltreatment of black and brown people so like this idea of you know turning into sin something that we don't understand because we are simply not accustomed to it or because we're just not used to people expressing themselves this way or we simply don't want to look at ourselves as the sinners we are because we don't like it like i mean this is a tale as old as time and you know i'm just glad there's people like ash out here who are drawing attention to it by you know making sure these stories get told and making sure we have opportunities to you know have these conversations and see these stories and see the effects that our problems with other people's lives that we don't understand has has on them, so yeah, ranting again, my bad, but
1: <laughs> it's a good rant. It's definitely a story that happens over and over and over and over throughout time that you can see it throughout the scriptures as well that we just don't want to understand people who aren't exactly like us, and so mm-hmm. we demonize them and dehumanize them, and then we think that gives us an excuse to treat them as lesser. When really, like, we need to be elevating the least among us. We need to be listening to those that confuse and shock us. Like, the whole point of the gospel, right, is to um, make uncomfortable those who are comfortable, to bring comfort to those who need it.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm curious about some of the results of your project. Like, has it made, what impact has it had? Like, how has it empowered trans non-binary um, gender non-conforming people, like tell us tell us about like the the success of your project so far. What what is what's it done?
1: Yeah, I mean, I still think it's kind of a little early on to be saying like what kind of um, impact it's had. But um, I do have people who will talk to me um, and be like, "So I am non-binary. I'm transgender," and they feel like that there is not a place in the church for them. And to be able to direct them to this repository of other people who have gone through similar things, um, to just, even to just, just to show people that you're not alone, you're not broken or defective. Like there are other people who are walking the same path with you. Um, that has been one of my favorite things about the project, um, is being able to make those connections and to show people that like there's hope, you know, um, it might look different for each of us, but we can make a place for us in the church and we can figure that out together.
0: So awesome. Um, yeah. That is, Derek, I think I got everything on my list. Was there anything else you wanted to add? Um, I'm curious
2: if you have, especially given your connection with Unitarian Universalism, see how some of these problems have addressed been addressed with other faith communities and what we can learn from what they got right and what they got wrong so that we don't have to make the same mistakes. Now, I know that UU's aren't all the way there with with trans folks, but they're farther ahead than almost any other group. So yeah, tell yeah. me about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm an expert on UU. I've um, only been kind of dabbling with it. But one thing that I have loved is even just when we have our Zoom meetings, um, it, the expectation is there that everyone will introduce themselves with their pronouns on Zoom. And so even just setting that baseline of um, acknowledging that there are people who use pronouns you might not expect, um, it creates a space for people to, um, to be more authentically themselves. And so just bringing in little things like that, um, that signal to trans people, like, you are welcome here. We realize that you exist and that we would love to have you among mm-hmm. us, um, trying to be proactive about how to include you rather than just like. Realizing after the fact, oh, like, oh, there are trans people here. What do we do with you? Oh no. Um, but just being proactive in the ways that we set up um our ministries and our congregations. Another thing that I really like about UU, um, they have something similar to like a relief society, but it's just open to everyone. It's just kind of like a service, I forget what they call it. Um, but having things like that um not be restricted by gender, but just allowing anyone to participate, I think is an awesome move forward because um, there are great things that like Relief Society does in terms of service um, and community, but we don't necessarily need to restrict that to only women in the church. We can have men participating as well, people of other marginalized genders. Um, so, yeah.
2: Yeah, and and speaking about what we can learn from others, that brings up another point about the social construct that we have in sort of the Western white world of, oh, there are two genders. What happens is we've got the biology, we've got the wonderful diversity of the biology, and then we artificially somehow draw the line and make that, in, make that beautiful spectrum into just two boxes, but that doesn't have to be that way. And the point is that that's a choice and not all cultures have two genders. There are other cultures that have two or th- uh, more than two genders or different ways of Classifying that, the Talmud has six gender categories. So we've got, and this gets into the entanglement of white supremacy where we European uh, folks have gone around the world and colonized the world with this idea that there's two genders and then somehow that becomes this absolute truth. I'm like, no. And, and so we can definitely sort of contextualize this completely artificial binary and say, look, it doesn't have to be that way. And if it, if it's not even that way everywhere on earth, why would it be that way in heaven?
1: Exactly. And that goes back to this idea of intersectionality as well, because once we start to decolonize um, what has been forced upon us by white supremacy, it's going to be liberating for so many people in lots of ways. And that's why we really have to look at, um, to look at that oppression and undo it. But yeah, I do think that like, um, there is so much beauty to be had in this spectrum of diversity. It really almost is a mockery of God to try to simplify it more than it really is. Um, and to not recognize all the different shades of nuance um, and celebrate all of the infinite ways of being that there are. I think it, it shorthands God and God's creation and, and, it hurts so many people in the process. Like it's just not a good thing to do.
0: It's a lovely thought to uh, end on. Um, Before we wrap things up, I want to make sure that people are able to find you on the socials, Ash. So uh, can you tell us, can you drop your handles for us real quick and we'll make sure to put them in the notes too.
1: Uh, Yeah. So on Twitter it's gem underscore stories. And then on Instagram, G E M. Yeah. G E M. And then on Instagram it's G E Mormons.
0: G E Mormons. And where can they find your books?
1: Um, they are on Amazon. Um, you'll have to look under Ash Sanborn, is what they're listed as. Um, okay. I can send you direct links if that's helpful.
0: That is helpful. Yes, we would okay. love those direct links. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um,
2: let's see. I have, I have one last question. Sure. Let's. Um, there, we may have trans, non binary, gender expansive listeners listening right now you have the chance to say something directly to them. What would you like to say to them, centering their experience, giving them messages of hope or encouragement or just visibility and empathy? Like, what would you say to our trans listeners?
1: I would say that the work is not done. That one of the beauties of the LDS Church is the principle of ongoing revelation. And we can see in real time that the leaders are listening and aware of us. And they may not be getting it perfectly right, but the fact that they are open to listening to to ongoing revelation from on high makes me hopeful that there will be changes, especially the more that people speak out about our our experiences and are willing to put ourselves out there. Um, The more chance that there is for the work to move forward and for our communities to become more inclusive. It's really not fair right? that the onus has been placed on us as marginalized people to advocate for ourselves. Um, It's hard and it's scary. And luckily we're not alone. There are people who understand what we're going through and Christ understands perfectly what each of us is going through. Um, Anything to do with my gender, um, with my thoughts on my frustrations on the church, like Christ gets that. And that has been a rock for me as well. And so I would say just keep holding on to hope because there is a brighter future ahead.
2: Wow. Thank you so much. Thank you. For real. Thank you.
0: Um, Ash, this has been a real treat. Like we're so glad we finally got you on the show. You're one of the first people. I'm
1: honored to be here. So,
0: yeah you're one of our earliest fans and uh, followers of the show. So like, (laughs) as soon as we discovered that, you know, we were attracting people that were doing such important work, it was just a huge validation for the kind of work that we were doing. And uh, in a weird way to me, this kind of feels like, you know, our journey as beyond the block is coming full, full circle in a way, because we finally get to see faces behind the people that have been with us from the jump. And it's, uh, You know, it's a real treat to see that you're still out here doing this work, that you are still unapologetically doing you and, uh, you know, that you're that you're giving folks hope and that you're giving folks reason to stay and be their authentic selves and all their glorious gender queerness and also in their Mormonness. Like it's a it's a wonderful thing to see. So thank you for, you know, sharing that with us today and for doing this work that you do
1: thank you for being you and for being doing the work that you're doing. Cause I would say it's mutual that I've been just as inspired by the work that you guys are doing. And so I think if we're able to lift each other up, we can keep doing this difficult work that he's doing and we can make the church better and more inclusive and just a better place for everyone.
0: Yes. Yes. Um, So yeah, one more time. Those uh, handles one more time were gem underscore stories on Twitter and ge Mormons. On Instagram? On Instagram, yeah. All right, yeah. awesome.
1: Um, and then the website is Trans Saint Stories. I'm hopefully going to transfer that over to Gem Mormons as well. But transaintstories.com is where you can find the actual stories as well.
0: Sweet, sweet. And that's the, web- okay, and that's the website. We'll be sure to put that in there too. Yep. Until you buy the domain for whatever you want Jim yes. Stories to be. Exactly. All right. Do we miss anything, Derek? Is there anything else we got to put the people on to uh, for Ash? I don't think so. All right. Neither do I. Well, uh, Ash, stay on the line. We're going to go ahead and end the episode, and then we'll debrief. But uh, thank you very much for joining us on Beyond the Block today. And uh, we look forward to seeing all the great things that you do.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It's been an honor.